Good morning. I wasn't sure what to expect here this morning in terms of uh, a July, 4th of July weekend crowd, but this is nice to see you all. Can I introduce my wife, Marilee, right down here? She sort of... Uh, she sort of writes up what I'm supposed to speak on, and then I just read it. Uh, so if you don't like what I'm going to say this morning, it's her fault, and you can take it out on her. Uh, we want to talk about a very familiar passage, and that's Psalm 23. We read it earlier, and maybe some of you have memorized it. Um, we like to think of Psalm 23. Maybe we imagine uh, young teenager David on a nice, lush, grassy hillside. He's out with the sheep. And he's doing his dad's business, taking care of things, and he brings along his portable harp, and he's kind of strumming along, and he pokes out a tune, and he comes up with what we call Psalm 23. Sounds very idyllic and romantic and pleasant and comforting. Uh, Psalm 23, maybe uh, it's the only passage some people have memorized in the Bible. For some people, it's the last words they hear in their life. And just as they pass from this life to eternity, uh, someone may be reading Psalm 23 to them. It's probably the favorite of the 150 Psalms. Just curious, how many of you, I'm not going to ask you to prove it, but how many of you sort of think that you've memorized Psalm 23? God, of course, is judge, so if you've uh, exaggerated that, you've just convicted yourself, but that's not my business. Um, Actually, Psalm 23 probably was not written by David as a shepherd teenager. So Psalm 23, we think about, uh, he talks about um, in the shadow, living in the shadow of death. That probably wasn't true of this teenager, nor that he had lots of enemies. Psalm 23 really was probably written by King David many years later after his shepherding days were over. Some uh, speculate the actual setting for Psalm 23 was a pretty tragic moment. It's when David was being pursued and sought out to be killed by his son Absalom. And so if you remember that, that's from 2 Samuel 17. The setting is David quickly gathers his palace staff, anybody who's loyal to him, and they make a mad dash out of Jerusalem down the Kidron Valley, and they move as quickly as they can with kids and no supplies and uh, just grabbing things at the last minute, and they get head over to the Jordan River. They leave behind a couple of spies to just find out what, is, what are Absalom's plans and can they stay there. And so the spies get word back to them and say, you can't stay here, you've got to move on, keep pressing on. And so then they get up and cross the Jordan River and camp out in some caves and things. That's the setting and so here is King David with all that he has is gone. He's lost his title. He's discredited. He has no security. His army is in shambles. Lack of supplies. Hiding out. And he steps back and he pauses and he begins to write, The Lord is my shepherd. And probably the best translation of this is, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Think of those circumstances. What in the world was going through King's David, King David's mind when he, in such a context, says, I lack nothing? Uh, what do you lack? And what are your circumstances? How do they compare? 
How could he say that? And what is it that could make him say such a thing? So this morning, I hope King David can help us identify our thoughts about what do we need in terms of security or Maybe we could share King David's perspective on what we need, what we really need, and who we are. What is it that I really need, and who am I? Can I say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing? So let's begin with prayer. Would you join me? Father, we come before you, um, probably most of us, wonder, can I really honestly say I lack nothing? Is full sufficiency in you, my shepherd? And when we're honest with ourselves, we look at our lives and, wow, we're pursuing all kinds of things, which seem to suggest we lack something. Something's missing. You're the one who really can speak into our hearts, surely not me. And so, Holy Spirit, Father God, Jesus the Son, triune God, do your work among us this morning. Help us to be not just good listeners, but hearers that do something. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to mention a disclaimer about this message. Uh, This Psalm 23 is just loaded with all kinds of fascinating things. And so, Uh, My wife, Marilee, led a women's Bible study, uh, just wrapped it up last month, and they took 12 weeks to go through Psalm 23. So trying to do Psalm 23 in one sermon is not doing justice to us. I think this could be spread out over two to three weeks. So I'm going to try to do it real quickly. Uh, The way I'm going to go about this is I'm going to spend 50% of the time on verse 1 and 50% of the time in verses uh, two, to five, 2 to 6, the other five verses. So just so you know ahead of time, that's where we're going with this. Uh, the Bible study Marilee used is by a lady named uh, Jennifer Rothschild, and it's called Psalm 23, The Shepherd With Me, The Shepherd With Me. And that would be a fantastic study for anybody to do, whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter. So, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm going to use this term, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So, if the Lord is our shepherd, then that means uh, we're his sheep. I noticed on our drive over here to Bartlett this morning, I didn't see a single sheep or sheeps or whatever they are, you know, in any pastures. Uh, I mean, what do they look like? We sort of know what they look like. We've seen pictures of lambs, and we eat it. Um, but our connection with sheep is not very uh, deep. So uh, we want to think about this. Do you ever think of yourself in terms of a sheep? And so I'm going to uh, identify a few characteristics of sheep, and at the end, you can ask yourself, is that really like me? Um, maybe, maybe not. Your choice, so I'm, and I'm just arbitrarily selecting these. This idea of sheep is a really, really common theme in the New Testament, in the whole Bible. Over 200 times, sheep is mentioned. Over 200 times, lamb or lambs is mentioned. Over 300 times, shepherd or flock is, mesh, is mentioned. I'm having trouble uh, talking. And so it's ubiquitous. It's all over the Bible, this theme of sheep and shepherd. So what are some of your favorite Sheep verses. Can you think of any? I'll help you. (laughs) Psalm 100. Know that the Lord is God. He is God. He has made us. We are his. 
We are his people and the of his sheep of his pasture. Okay. How about Isaiah 53? We all like sheep have gone astray. We all have turned every one to his own way. Jesus made this comment, or Matthew makes this comment about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, that is when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them because they were harassed and helpless like without a, okay. I don't know, this sheep theme isn't, doesn't seem to be connecting too well to people, Michael. I'll try to keep working at it, okay? Here's another one. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Okay, so we, lots of verses we could think of about sheep. Here are three characteristics, something you can think about. First one, sheep are followers. So if you have your little outline in there, you can fill in that blank there. By the way, speaking of your little outline thing. You see where it says that's big, bold Psalm 23 and it's got a nice gray space off to the right of it? See that spot there? Write this in. My take-home today, my take-home today is this verse or word, okay? And if I forget to come back to that at the end of the sermon, you can try to remind me. So, What's the point of this message? There's going to be way too much. It's going to be at some point you're going to feel like you've got your mouth up to a fire hydrant. There's more than what you care to know about Psalm 23. But take home at least one thing. So what is your take home going to be? Just choose one of the verses and say, I think I need to think about this a little bit. Or one of the words I'm going to talk about. So that's your take home today. And there's a bunch of questions on the back for that. So let's move on. Sheep are followers. Sheep need guidance. Uh, They gather together in a flock that's natural, that's important, that's for their own safety. Uh, It's the right thing for them to do, and they only respond to one voice. If 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 several shepherds bring their herds of sheep up to a common watering hole and they're all there together, none of the sheep have any kind of a marking on them, and they just all mix, and they're drinking their water. But One of the shepherds will step back and call out to his sheep, and only those sheep that know that voice will instinctively stop and follow him. There's never any mixing up. They follow one voice. Uh, You can look up sheep and shepherds and find out, wow, they really do that. So they're followers. Secondly, they're vulnerable. They're defenseless to any predator. Sheep are vulnerable. And not only to predators, they're vulnerable to disease. They've got a very weak immune system. And so they're dependent on their shepherd both for protection physically and medicinally. Third thing, sheep are easily disturbed or upset. Okay, sheep are followers. Sheep are vulnerable. Sheep are easily disturbed and upset. Uh, If there's something that disturbs the sheep, whatever it is, lightning or rain or some kind of event, they go into a state of agitated confusion If a little lamb is lost, if it somehow wanders away from the herd and can't visually see or hear the rest of the herd, the little lamb just stops, lays down, it's immobilized, and it's extremely vulnerable to either a predator that will come and kill it, or it waits until the shepherd finds it, whichever comes first, hopefully the shepherd. And when the shepherd finds it, it's so traumatized it cannot get up and follow the shepherd back, so he picks it up and has to carry it back to the herd. Sheep are easily upset or disturbed. So there's your description of sheep. How does that fit with you? Followers, vulnerable, 
easily disturbed or upset. Is that you? I'm, uh, in particular, uh, you'd think, not much of a follower. Uh, I do a lot of leading and decision-making and oversight, and usually people don't think of me as a follower, but I am, and I choose to be. I like to call myself a disciple of Jesus Christ, and a disciple, by definition, is a follower. And so as followers, uh, we follow that voice that we're familiar with. If you can trust the one who leads, that's the key, isn't it? If you can trust the one who leads, then following becomes willful. It's a good choice. It's an easy choice. It's a natural choice. Following. So would you describe yourself as a sheep? Think about it. Maybe that's your take home for today. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Do we think we lack nothing? What is it that gets in our way where we think we lack something? What pollutes our thinking or disturbs our thinking? So I've got a few suggestions for you. What prevents us from thinking we lack nothing? Here's the first one. Four reasons we may feel we lack something. We misunderstand our own needs. We misunderstand our own needs. Marilee and I are edging closer to retirement. You can tell by the color of my uh, facial hair and, and things. Uh, that's about two years down the road for us. For the past two years, we've been very preoccupied with where should we retire. The United States is a lot bigger country than Hong Kong. And so where should we retire has been a challenge. So one of our family members said, hey, why don't you come and live near us? We'll take care of you in your dotage. Uh, It was an interesting choice of words when that was made, uh, but it made sense. And so we thought, okay, that's quite a generous offer to come by and to be taken care of. Um, Something didn't quite feel right about it couldn't put our finger on it, weren't sure about it. We thought, well, okay, they live in a part of the country we know nothing about. We've never lived in that part of the U.S. Uh, Would that fit? But we've moved to Hong Kong a long time ago, and that was okay. We got used to that. We moved to Taiwan, and we lived there for a decade, and now we've moved back to Hong Kong again. And so major international moves that are cross-cultural, we can do that. We've done that before. Uh, I'd probably be okay. And so we were thinking, yeah, that shouldn't be it, but something still wasn't right. Finally, we realized we didn't fully understand our needs. And so we were trying to, I think, push too hard into something that was unfamiliar. That's kind of weird about us, but we're, we're not threatened by uh, what's unfamiliar. But slowly the Lord showed us a different direction. We thought we needed resolve to push through this list of challenges, but really we needed to reduce the pressure and minimize the unknowns. We thought that we needed a calling to a new field of service, but really we needed to build on what was known, our own reputation. We thought we needed freedom to live any place in the U.S., but we're finding, no, we need to become actually tied down for a season to care for my elderly parents. And so sometimes we misunderstand what our own needs are. The second one is we misinterpret the packaging 
We misinterpret the packaging. We have a friend uh, recently moved to Hong Kong. She's a medical doctor. She's trained in Dartmouth. Really, really sharp woman. She's not Chinese. She's a Caucasian. Lived in China for several years practicing medicine, uh, which is quite remarkable. Came to Hong Kong, and Hong Kong government does not recognize any foreign medical degree or schooling. And so you've got to do all of your testing all over again. And so she went, started to go through this whole testing process. There's the academic testing, and then there's the actual on-hands observation. So she went through the academic testing in flying colors, which is quite rare, a very slow, low percentage past that. Then she began the uh, actual practical uh, side of it, and she got a letter about two weeks ago that said, you failed. She's never failed at anything. And this is pretty disturbing to her, and she was so ticked off about this. Her immediate response was, this assessment is biased, it's wrong, this whole system is absurd, it's designed to make people fail. Plus, it's a threat to some of the existing doctors, they don't want other competition, even though there's a shortage of doctors in Hong Kong. But maybe this whole thing is not about her succeeding in using her medical skills. Maybe... She's misunderstanding, misinterpreting the packaging. The packaging is getting a medical license in Hong Kong. But maybe what's going on here is God wants to say to her, no, there's something else here that I want you to learn. Don't get distracted with this failure or the packaging. Maybe there's something he wants to teach her about her character. Or he's got some other message. She needed to step back and say, okay, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me? Maybe this isn't about a medical degree. Sometimes God meets our deepest needs through heartache or rejection. Sometimes God meets our deepest needs through heartache or rejection. That's a tough one. Don't let the packaging fool you. Sometimes we miss the message and don't realize we really need to learn from the Lord something different. We need to step back and say, Lord, what is it you want me to learn from this pain or this setback or this loss? Third one, we mistake the messenger. We mistake the messenger. As King David was escaping for his life, It appeared that the messenger controlling the events was Absalom. But then after this late night escape, he could step back and say this wasn't about his survival. It wasn't about maintaining comfort, keeping power, keeping his reputation. It was about what David should experience about the true shepherd and knowing the shepherd in a different perspective. In what seemed like a disaster, David could say, I lack nothing because I'm under the shepherd's care. What prevents us from seeing or thinking we lack nothing? The fourth one is we're too preoccupied with the future. So we have that sense is I'd be okay if I could have that. Or I'd be okay if that was part of my, it's something out there that we think we need and that's what's disturbing us. So we are lacking something in in our own perspective. What is it? Or is it true? So maybe you're a high schooler or university student and you're convinced you need some kind of companionship, friend, 
or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something like that. And so what's the benefit of that? There are a lot of benefits to that. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's nice to feel pursued. Uh, Maybe it gives an immediate sense of security or status or companionship or belonging or value or excitement or happiness. None of those are bad. But could you say, if none of that took place, I lack nothing? Or is it necessary to have some of those things or all of those things? How about the next age group? So now you're married, you've got kids, and can that person say, I lack nothing? At that age, we're really into our careers and we're pursuing security and a home and cars and... um, activity, toys, or whatever the things that we need, and so we we have a tough time saying, I lack nothing, and so we're pursuing these other kinds of things. What if those things didn't come? Could we still say, I lack nothing? All right, before we close on verse 1, just about finished with that, look at, think about verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. What is the most important word in that verse, do you think? Got any guesses? It's a short word. It's two letters. My. He's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. This is key for us in understanding. This whole psalm is all about, he's not just a shepherd, He's not just the shepherd. He's not just Pastor Michael's shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's your shepherd. Stop and think. He's mine. He's my shepherd. And this psalm is all about him. It's not about us. This shepherd cares about you. So can we say this together using this different... The I Lack Nothing is the new New International Version. It's their latest translation. A lot of people hate it, but uh, I think this I lack nothing catches what this is. So can we say this together? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Okay, let's say it. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. One more time. Okay, so here's a little bit of homework for you. Leave the service, get in your car, you're heading home, you're going to go out for lunch or whatever you're going to do. And maybe you're not alone, you're with at least one other person in your family or something. What if somebody in the family would have the courage to say, can we talk about this I lack nothing thing for just a minute? Can each of us say that honestly and then have a discussion but be honest about it? I would guess most of us would say, no, not really. I'm not quite there yet and that's fine. But to be honest about it and stop to the, well, then what does that mean? What is it you're lacking? And where are you struggling with that issue? And then just talk about it. You don't have to solve the problem, but to identify it will be a step in the right direction. A little discussion, homework for this afternoon. Or maybe you can discuss, do you feel like a sheep? Are you a follower? Are you vulnerable? Are you easily upset? All right, let's move on. Now we're going to talk about the rest of the verses. What do I have? Two minutes left? No, I've got more than that. Okay. So we'll do this in 10 minutes. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside quiet waters. Let's talk about this verse, lie down. First of all, he makes. He, this is forceful. He pushes us. He 
requires, demands that we lie down. So it's not an invitation. Lying down, picture this. So you picture a four-footed animal, tucks its four feet under its body, and then just settles. That's this word, that's the picture of lying down. Or think of a bird sitting on its nest of eggs. Mother bird sits on there, and she's just not there temporarily. Nothing's going to get her to move. If you've ever had a bird's nest close to your uh, deck or something like that where there's human proximity, it it takes a lot to get her to finally fly away. She is going to stay there, and she's settled. This is what this is. The Lord makes me get settled. So it isn't a temporary resting while you're an interruption to being exhausted so that you can just jump up and start running all over the place again. It's stop it. It's quit. Let go. Be patient. Stop trying to control everything. That's what this is. He makes me lie down. Stop trying to control. Let go. Wait. Rest. Okay. Next verse. He restores my soul. This word restore usually is translated return, but here it's remain. I'm sorry, it's repair. So he's repairing. So David recognized in all of the rush and all of the decision making and all of the intensity, his soul needed repair. Uh, there's an attraction for us. It sounds like, oh, we can just kind of relax. The Lord, the Lord just gives me some peace and fulfills my needs. And so there's an attraction to this. Yeah, that'd be nice to have. But that's not what it is. If it was like that, then the verse would read like this. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. So I can feel good. But it's not that. It's for his name's sake. In fact, this whole psalm is all about him. He's the one who uh, is the shepherd. He's the one who leads. He's the one who guides. He's the one who restores. And so it's all for his name's sake. What does that mean? For his name's sake means it makes him show up, show off, get the bragging rights. So it's the idea that whatever is going on in my life, I hope that the attention is directed toward him. Remember uh, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life? Anybody remember the first sentence in that book? Can anybody say what it is if you remember it? Nobody remembers that one? Anybody? Got it? Nobody? It's not about you. That's how the book starts. It's not about you. I read that and I laughed and I thought, that is so true. Usually everything's about me. And it isn't. It's about him. It's about the shepherd. All right, it's for his name's sake. Think of it this way. The condition of the sheep is a reflection of the shepherd's character. The sheep are all disturbed and upset. Uh, that's it. The shepherd is not doing his job. The condition of the sheep is a reflection of the shepherd's character. Or this way, whatever brings God glory brings us good. Let's move on to the next one. He guides me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, 
a more accurate translation isn't necessarily the valley of the shadow of death, but it's in the darkest valley, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Of course, the darkest one would be the valley of death, but we can go through dark valleys multiple times. And a dark valley is going to be a loss, a harm, something painful, something difficult. So what happens in the dark valley? Here's five things that go on. He says, even though I walk. So as you're going through the darkest valley, don't stay there. Keep walking. Don't let the dark valley define you. And don't stay in that location. Continue to move. Keep walking. Secondly, if it feels like you're alone, you are not. You're not alone. You, my shepherd, are with me. You've not lost your companionship. Third one is fear is in the dark valley, but that's not permanent. And so fear won't stay with you all of the time. The fourth idea is you're not defenseless. Your shepherd is there with his rod and his staff. So the rod is what he uses on those who attack you or threaten you. The staff is what he used to get you back in line and back on track. So sometimes it's discipline. And the fifth point that he makes is your shepherd is not there to keep you out of dark valleys. Sometimes those are necessary, but he's there to give you comfort. So you're never uh, without his comfort. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Now the scene changes. The shepherd becomes the host. You're in his home. And so now he's setting things up for you. And you're in a context where it could be threatening, but wow, you're not at all. So you, the first is it's a position of honor. He seats you as his guest in a place where others would be threatening you. Secondly, there's dedication and healing. He anoints you. And the healing idea is as he anoints you with oil, it's a picture of this, this stuff that's on your head that will sort of melt and drip down at it and it emits a fragrance. And so if people bump into you, they will know this fragrance that is the scent of the king or the host and they'll recognize that and they'll notice, oh, you've been with him. And so the fragrance that we have should be a reflection of the shepherd or the king that we've been with. And finally, there's abundant provision. Our cup overflows. Last verse, verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This surely is absolutely, certainly, you can count on it, have no fear, this is going to be true. And then it goes on, goodness and mercy. Sometimes this is translated goodness and love. Sometimes it's translated goodness and loving kindness. This word, either love or mercy and loving kindness, is a fascinating word. It's chesed, and it is a beautiful ritual. If you think of uh, Moses when he was on Mount Sinai, and he asked God to show him his glory. And so God said, um, I'm going to put you in this crack in the rock. You cannot see me, my face, but I'm going to pass by, and you'll, you'll hear me speaking out who I am, and you'll see me from behind. And as God passes by him, he talks about the Lord, the Lord, and he speaks of his name, and he says, abundant in this chesed. It's the richness, the overflow, the inexhaustible supply of this loving kindness. That's what God has for us. So surely God's goodness and his loving kindness will follow me 
The last word I want to talk about is follow. Follow has this idea that is, it's, it's, um, it's not sticky paper, but it's, it's uh, almost, un, you cannot be detached. And so the following is right at our heels. It's right behind us. In a negative way, it's translated persecute. And so it is a relentless following that never gives up. So what is it that is right at our heels, constantly behind us, following us? It is God's goodness and loving kindness that is never far away, never distant, never unreachable. It is right there. So it's always part behind us. Let me summarize. How about if I give you a paraphrased version of Psalm 23? Think of it like this is my own words, good or bad, I don't know, but you can listen to this. I am under the care and protection of the shepherd. He knows me personally. I have no genuine needs. I can be very content with a simple life. My shepherd tells me to settle down and be quiet in a safe and pleasant place. As I'm still, he restores my whole inner being to the point where my desires and behavior are in full alignment with what makes him sound and look good. Even when I discover I'm in the midst of hardship or pain that I can't understand, I'm never alone because the shepherd, my shepherd, is right with me. I'll hand over my fears to him and be comforted by his protection and guidance And together we'll move through this dark season. He'll honor me, even when I can't imagine it. I'll experience his healing oil and abundant provision. Without doubt, his goodness and loving kindness will always be tailgating me, as they have been all my life. And without doubt, I will live forever in my shepherd's house. Truly, I have no genuine needs. There's application for you on the back side of uh, this. I said uh, at the beginning, my take-home for today is what? Is there one of those verses that sticks out for you or one particular word that you want to think about, pray about, talk about? Do that. So let's close in prayer. Father, we give to you this message from David as he was on the run. And we would think he's got all kinds of needs. Desperate insecure, threatened, and he could say, you are my shepherd, I lack nothing. And in spite of that, your goodness and loving kindness tailgate us right after us. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Help us to grab a hold of these truths of your word. We pray in Christ's name, amen.